Welcome to The Waggle, the official podcast of the Canadian Football League. Welcome to another edition of the Waggle Podcast brought to you by us here at the CFL, CFL.ca, myself, Don Vett, Enoch Wamba, and the thousands of Nathan Rourke stands who come here for me every week to profess that not only is he going to win the MEOP, uh, but that maybe um, he'll be GQ Man of the Year. That's how much I'm in love with Nathan Rourke. Uh, but we'll start with um, a game that he wasn't in. Um, uh, Winnipeg, the defending champs, uh, facing off against Montreal. And, you know, wasn't Zach Claros' best game, 15 of the 26, 210, two TDs, three INTs. But it's nice when you have a security blanket that is that defense. And now Winnipeg is 9-0. and but, but here's the thing, and we'll, we'll break down Montreal in a bit, Enoch. Here's the thing. Montreal's 9-0. and or, Sorry, Winnipeg's 9-0. and they're, they're rolling um, incredibly. And I saw Dave Neeler tweet this out. They have scored exactly one more point than they have allowed. Uh, which, or sorry, they have gained one more yard than they have allowed. Uh, scoring one more point than you've allowed and being 9-0, I think is literally uh, impossible unless you just got destroyed in one game. Um, but it, how are they managing to manage their way to victories when they haven't necessarily been the more dominant team? And I think that that's the case based on what we saw last week. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the the huge thing, I think I, we, we talked about this at length already, uh, DB. I think that a lot of it has to do with the foundation that they've built in, the experience that they have, the um, you know the guys that they have. First, it's built properly. Where you hear this so often, often, and you're an offensive guy. I don't know if you believe in it or not, but defense do win championships, right? And you look at the year, you know, over the last few years, they've been building, and and they've really been centered around their defense. And as great as their defense has been. And as far as the defense goes is where that that offense, you know, ultimately that whole team goes. Um, so I think you start from there and beyond that, you just start to develop and, and build the different individuals and you build that culture, man. It's so overlooked in sports, the importance of a culture, a winning culture. And I think that they have that. And so they could be in situations where they're destroying another team because of their dominant defense and Zach Kolaris having a good game that particular day. And, you know, they're overwhelming whoever they're playing against, but they could have games where the defense is just having a so-so game. And I'll take it back to, you know, uh, the game against us, I think, you know, early on in the season, you know, we lost because, you know, we missed a, a, a field goal or sorry, it was even a convert. Um, I don't, I, and looking back, I don't think that Zach Lars was very or extremely special, but that defense showed up. They created turnovers, and um, if I'm not mistaken, they changed the field, and, and, and you know, they gave the offense an opportunity to win, and that's what they do game in and game out. They give Zach Lars short field, and, uh, short field for him to deal with, so he never really has to be a superhero. So I think building the foundation properly with the defense and then beyond that, having the culture, having rookies um, come in and contribute the way that, you know, that they have is just a testament to that, you know, that culture. So defense wins championship is a cliche that we see and hear in all sports. And so it just gets repeated over and over and over again. Although there's some credence, I don't know about that. Although there's some credence to it, I'm going to tweak it a little bit. I'm just going to remix it a little bit. Defense allows offense to win championships. Defense allows offense to win championships. They they put it on the table. And and here's what I mean by that. You call a game offensively entirely differently when you know you got a defense. You might go for it a a couple uh, more times on third down. You might be a little bit more aggressive. Uh, you know, or, you know, late in the game, you, you might punt and think field position uh, means more because I know our defense is going to get us the ball back 
and give us an opportunity to put some points on the board. Having a good defense or not having a good defense and knowing you have to chase points as soon as you get off the bus changes the mentality and then sets the platform for defense uh, to allow that offense to win. And when you look at Winnipeg, this is the third straight game. They haven't allowed a TD in the first half. So no matter what that offense is doing, good, bad, or indifferent, they know when they walk into locker room at halftime, they're still in the football game. And then they figured it out late. They outscored Calgary 11-3 in the fourth quarter last week, outscored Montreal 21-6 in the fourth quarter this week. You know, Rich Dubler style, you know, Michael Shea, he is a disciple from that tree. That defense may bend, but it won't break. It's going to keep that football team in games. And that's why I say, a new cliche, defense allows offense. It permits offense the ability to go out and win a championship. You know what? We can agree to disagree, DB. <laughs> I'm used to it. I'm a defensive guy. I'm used to it. We always talk about the... You know, the quarterbacks, the receivers, and all this and all of that. So I'm used to it. But we're here. We're here to do the dirty work. And we, ultimately, as defenses of teams, you look at all the great teams, and Winnipeg is no exception to that. And the success that they've had over the last couple of back-to-back championship years, that defense, I don't think it's arguable, has been the reason why they've won and been, you know, as dominant as they are. Well, you look at them, and now as they're halfway through the schedule. The schedule actually gets lighter for them. This was a tough stretch, and if there was going to be a loss, we thought it might come in this stretch. Two games in six days, traveled to Calgary, got the dub, back to Winnipeg, then out to Montreal, got the dub. So now they've got the seventh best start in CFL history. Now, of those six teams that have been undefeated longer, only the two of them have won the Grey Cup. So it's not a fait accompli that they're going to run the table and, and run through the CFL like it's it's high school. But this is a historic start. Unfortunately for Montreal, the start wasn't great. And things have continued to not be great. And there was a lot of talk about their lack of discipline to start the year. And the fact that you know law and order was going to be put in place. You know, Danny Matrocha is taking over and he's going to clean some of those things up. And, you know, you can't obviously fire all the players, so you got to get rid of the leader. Well, the Kari Jones record was one and three. They had 31 penalties for 275 yards in that span. Now we've got a bit more of a sample size. Danny Matrocha's record is one and three. They have 37 penalties for 442 yards in that span. At some point, you know, is is this more about the the guys in, in that locker room and the group that has been assembled and less about who is leading the team talk before we break it down after practice? Listen, we talk about culture. We talk about building a team. DB, it doesn't happen overnight, right? And, and maybe Danny Machocha is realizing that right now that it's not something that happens overnight. It's not something that can just you know, you can flip the switch upon. A culture takes time to develop. And Kahari, as loved as he was in the locker room, and I've been a part of that locker room, as loved as he was in the city, he was building something special. And as much as you, you, you know, you, you see him as the head and you see him there and calling the plays and, and being the head coach and, and, and whatnot, there were still so many different, different changes that were happening. And you talk about, you know, Kavis Reed previously being there, Hen leaving, and, uh, you know, Danny Machocha coming in, and a lot of the coaching staff changing uh, over and over again. You look at the winning teams. You look at the, 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 the teams that have had success for a long period of time, and I'm talking about the Calgary Stampeders of, of the league. You talk, I'm talking about the Winnipeg Blue Bombers of the world. And what those teams have in common is stability, Right a coaching staff that has been there for a while, a roster that there's always turnover in football. Let's be frank. Let's be real. There's always going to be changes. There's always going to be new guys coming in. But when you talk about the nucleus, you're talking about, you know, guys that are able to build and and, and, and a team or guys that you're willing to um, develop uh, around. You want to have that. That is what is able to allow you to be able to form a team that can last for a long period of time. And Danny, I feel, in my opinion, 
and having been there and leaving and talking to some of the guys that are still in the locker room over there, you know, he came in and thinking like, hey, look, I'm going to step up and I'm going to show up and things are going to turn around and change right away. And he's realizing really quickly that that's not the case. And it ta- it's going to take some time. And I'm sure he's going to be a little more patient with him than he was with Kahari Jones. You talked about that culture. And I think the standard bearer for a long time in the CFL is Calgary. And we see that now with Dave Dickinson taking over for John Huffnagel, who's moved up to the front office. And Dave Dickinson not up this week. He was in the COVID-19 protocol. So Mark Killam, someone who was rumored to be a head coach uh, candidate in the last couple of years. You know, the Edmonton Elks took a long look at him, served as the interim head coach, got the win. It wasn't the most beautiful uh, piece of football that I've watched from either team. You talk about defense winning championships while both teams played a lot of defense it didn't look like it was championship style football but no matter calgary uh, gets the win they avoid losing three straight for the first time since october 28th but i'm i'm not really sure how real calgary is and i'll i'll put their offensive struggles in this game to the side because ottawa has been pretty good defensively this year and you know they didn't have dave dickinson their play caller they weren't sure all week if he was going to be out of protocol in time but when you look at uh, 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 their body of work, well, they beat Edmonton twice. You know, they lost to Winnipeg twice now. And they haven't really played anyone else in the West. So it's tough for me to really assess them. Are they better than Saskatchewan or right there? Can they push BC for that second spot in the West? When you looked at, at Calgary, what's your read of what is going on uh, in Stampede you know, From the outside looking in, um, I think it's a team that is trying to find themselves. It's a team that, you know, is continuing to build. And they're trying to, re, you know, have a resurgence of, you know, the Stampeders of old. One of the things that, you know, I just mentioned earlier, and I have a lot of respect for I'm no Kevin Glenn. I haven't played for every team in the CFL, but I've played for a few. One of the teams that I have not, though, is Calgary Stampeders. But one person that I have a lot of respect for in that uh, in that organization is John Huff Nagel, known you know from afar, and and we have great conversations when we do uh, see each other. But I have a lot of respect because of the way that he's built his team over the years. One of the things that he does do, though, he is very strict when it comes to contract negotiations. He knows what he's going to offer you, and if you come around and you say, "Hey, look, this is what I really want, and this is what I'm worth in the market," he'll say, "Well, go ahead and test the market." I've heard that from multiple, multiple uh, sources and a lot of my close guys. And some of them, most of them, actually a lot of them are in our locker room. One, because uh, John Huffnagel brought them into the league, but also because they have outgrown the value that they thought, uh, they felt that Calgary, you know, uh, put on them. John Huffnagel does a really good job of kind of keeping guys together. Uh, But I think that he's dealing with that little bit of turnaround and again, it's going to have to take a little bit of time in order for them to find and figure out who they really are and figure out their identity. Uh, but Calgary, make no mistake, is a dangerous team in the West. And, um, you know, they're just trying to get to the playoffs, which they know they will. And regardless of how many times they lose to Winnipeg in the regular season, it takes one game. It takes you winning one game in the, in the playoffs for you to advance. And so, um, they're one of the most dangerous teams to me, in my opinion, when it comes to uh, the stretch uh, that's coming up here. So now it all makes sense why <laughs> the Argos locker room is essentially, you know, Stampeders East. Because John Hoffnagel is like, listen, I brought you into this league, quite frankly. I'll, I'll find another you for cheaper. Uh, and then, you know, you come to Pinball and Pinball's like, well, you know, money is just a social <laughs> construct. We don't live our lives for money. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll give it to you. Just be good in the community. I'll give it to you. Uh, I you know, hate that you're so think, accurate. I hate yeah. that you're so accurate. I was, I was imitating. <laughs> you're so accurate to imitate my boss. I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> well, one person who Calgary actually did decide to maybe go up higher than their number uh, and keep in-house when, you know, there are other teams, Toronto being one uh, rumored to, to pay more, Spoiled by Mitchell. Uh, didn't look good in this one. 13 of 27 for 137 and an INT. But as you say, he got the W. He got the win. Uh, Calgary moving forward. 
One team that didn't look as good in terms of the quarterback play and lose another game at home is Ottawa. 0-4 at home this year. They actually lost seven straight at home. Uh, and are 2-18. That's their home record dating back all the way to 2019, which is sad because they were really building one of the great you know, in-game environments at, at TD. So I hope they don't lose that with all of the losing. Caleb Evans, his streak of 102 passes without a pick was snapped in this game. There's a lot of talk that maybe he should come out at halftime. He didn't, but it wasn't good. After going 24, 29 for 286 and two touches versus your Toronto Argonauts against Calgary, he went 10 of 21 for 66 yards and an INT. Nick Arbuckle came in for him in the third quarter. It wasn't much better. You know, moving forward, who do you expect to see as a starter in Ottawa? I think you talk about a streak. Caleb Evans is a quarterback that is extremely streaky, right? Yes, he had a successful, um, a pretty good game against us and uh, obviously ultimately got the W. Uh, but I know for a fact that the front office, the coaching staff in Ottawa is thinking that he is not consistent enough for them to be able to win um, enough to take them to the playoffs at least or be a, a, a winning team. I think, in my opinion, I think that they're going to give the reins to uh, Nick Arbuckle. I believe that they, they believe, obviously, in, in his skill set. They believe in his ability. I think that they're going to try and give him a, uh, give him a shot, and they're going to probably try and give him uh, an opportunity to uh, um, develop with that offense. Now, look, I don't, I'm not saying that he's going to have success right away. This is a guy who, obviously, leaving Toronto, went to Edmonton, and obviously recently joined the Ottawa Red Blacks. This is a whole new playbook again for him. And uh, he had to get, you know, accustomed to the new guys that are around him. I think it's going to take a little bit of time, but they have to be willing to do just that. But you're right. I think the question that you pose is an extremely important one, DB. And they have to make that decision now because if they want to, if they want Nick Arbuckle to be the guy, which I believe that they will down the road, they're going to have to make that decision now so that he can, uh, you know, go through all the the growing pains of becoming the head of an offense and all of the mistakes that will possibly come and uh, finally be the best offense that they can be down the road when they really need need him the most. It was a tough week for another Evans in the East. Uh, it's Dane Evans, and again, this is his fifth game this year for the fourth quarter turnover as Hamilton loses to your Toronto Argonauts at BMO. Yeah, and these are backbreaking turnovers. Week three versus Winnipeg throws a pick six. Uh, week four, Hamilton up three, fumbles basically under his own goalpost, returned for a scoop and score score. And then obviously Chris Edwards, the, you know, the 40-yard pick six for a TD, and then had a little in the end zone with the whole squad celebrating. Uh, you know, we talk about anointing someone as the guy. Dane Evans – was annoying, a big guy. They moved on from Jeremiah Masoli. Uh, they, they gave him the reins. Now, Schiltz is coming in to spell him or now because, you know, their offensive weapons are dropping like flies to, to be a receiver for him. But, you know, how much of the struggles consistency in Hamilton is the fact that, you know, Dane Evans has had some untimely turnovers late in games? Absolutely. It's, it's a huge part of the reason why they are where they are, you know. And you, 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 you have to wonder, what are the decision makers out there in Hamilton thinking right now? Do they think that they made a mistake? Do they feel like they should have held on to Jeremiah Mazzoli? Um, I'm pretty sure that conversation's come up. That thought has crossed their minds. And um, now it's too late. They got to ride with Dane Evans. And so I think that's what they're trying to do right now. They're trying to, you know, accommodate him and trying to make it as comfortable as possible for him to be able to succeed as much as he can. But they just, I think that they're figuring out right now that Dane Evans maybe wasn't as ready as maybe they thought that he was uh, behind Jeremiah Masoli. I'm saying like the addition that, you know, to uh, Matthew Schiltz and involving him the way that they have to me is, is a telling is, is extremely telling. Uh, about how they feel about Dan Evans. If you truly believe in a, in, 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 a, in a starting quarterback, if you truly believe in your leader, you're going to let him go. You're going to let him rock. And Schultz would come in for situational reasons, sure, you know, third and short, second and short, and for him to get a first down. But 
from what I'm seeing, I think that they're split. I don't think that they fully believe in Dane Evans. And at the same time, obviously, they're not fully, um, you know, sold on Matthew Schiltz, which is the reason why they're trying to take the ball away from Dane Evans' hands just a little bit, just a tad bit, so that he uh, can have less of a chance of making bad decisions. If a CFL game was three quarters, the Hamilton Tiger Cats would be the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Like, they would be essentially undefeated. When you look at their points for points against throughout the year, break down by quarter. First quarter, they've put up 50 points. Uh, they've given up 31, so good. Second quarter, 53, given up 33. Again, good. Third quarter, scored 39, given up 47. Not great, but, you know, not outrageous. Fourth quarter, they've scored 29 points in the fourth quarter. They've given up 95. And, you know, we see all the time whether on different teams, you know, you know, sideline puts the fours up, right? It's fourth quarter time. That mental reminder, okay, this is the fourth quarter. This is the money time of the game. But when you see numbers like that, and even watching, you can almost feel like they felt, uh-oh, here we go again. We're back in another situation where we're going to find a way not to get it done. And I've been watching the Derek Jeter, uh, the captain uh, docu-series, and talking about the Yankees playing the Red Sox. And he talked about the fact that they knew some way, somehow, the Red Sox were going to give it to us. They were going to figure out a way to lose it. And that's how I feel the Ticats have been of late. Is that mental fatigue? Is that physical fatigue? Is that putting all the film out in the first three quarters and then the adjustments coming through in the fourth quarter? What do you ascribe to why a team like Hamilton all of a sudden falls apart for the last 25% of a football game? I've been extremely critical of, of, of Dane Evans, as we just mentioned. But part of the reason to answer your question, DB, I also believe that, one, it's a combination. One, I don't believe that Dane Evans has ever developed the endurance to be able to play a full game and to be able to be successful. Remember, he was a backup to Jeremiah Masoli. Whenever he needed to come in, he stepped up, did his thing. You look at a guy like a Nick Arbuckle. He did pretty similar things behind uh, Bo Levi Mitchell and got his stock so high that everybody was high on him. And now he's been bouncing around teams um, to figure out a new home, to find out a new home. I don't know if Dane Evans ever really developed that endurance. So that's one. And I think that he's working his way through that. Because remember, the best position on any team usually typically is going to be the backup quarterback until you got to step in and be the guy. And now he has to be the guy, and I don't know if the endurance is there too. Here's the second thing I've noticed. And I, and, and, and I love his coaching style, Coach Tommy Condell who's the offensive coordinator for Hamilton Tiger Cats, what he does, he does extremely well. I know against us, and I've seen him, you know, in all the other games that they play in Hamilton, he does a great job of scripting his plays. His first 12, 15 plays are going to be extremely uh, eye-opening. It's mind-blowing because he'll do a lot of things that forces a defense to be very disciplined in order to be successful as a defense. He'll pull guys to the left throw the ball to the right backs. Uh, you know, he throws the ball on the backside that, you know, things that you would never do. I don't know if you saw when he threw the ball uh, or he called a play where Dane Evans rolled to his right and threw the ball all the way to the left to uh, uh, Don Jackson. And thank God JG was there and had his eyes open uh, for it. But after that, when things settle, when the dust settles, and it's time to play real football. That is when really Hamilton try, uh, struggles quite a bit. And so it's a combination of the two. I think that, uh, you know, better play calling as well will help Dane Evans to be better down the stretch. But 100%, you look at the way that they begin games, they call all these plays that are, you know, difficult to guard, but they're not real football plays that you can't sustainably call, you know, play in and play out for the duration of the game. Because at some point, those are games, those are plays that you call once, twice, maybe twice a game. But those are the plays that he calls early on and he has a lot of success and a lot of the times gets chunks of yards and most times even scores. Well, can you do me a favor and can you walk down to Coach Dinwiddie's office and just knock on the door? Say, hey, I don't know if you got some time, but can you start running some of those Tommy Condell plays in the first quarter? Because in Toronto offensively, it's been the opposite problem. 
last in the CFL in first quarter scoring. But when you look at the second half, they've got 143 points. Uh, that averages to just over 10 points per quarter in the second half. And as a defender, you'll take that. A, a field goal and a touchdown per quarter, you'll take that. Uh, it, would you say that there could be the opposite, where you know sometimes you, you're trying just to feel out a, uh, an opposing uh, defense early and you don't want to show too much because you're holding some things for the second half? Yeah, uh, I think so. Uh, and, and Coach Dinwiddie, I think he has a whole bag of tricks. But I'll tell you what, there's a couple plays that Coach Tommy Condell, again, I told you, I'm being critical of him, but I actually love some of the stuff that he incorporates in his offense. It's just you can't base your whole offense on these trick plays and on these, you know, plays that causes a deal, that forces a defense to be just disciplinary uh, and have the eyes in the right position in order to be successful. But there's a few plays that Tommy, Coach Tommy Condell called that I was like, hey, coach, did you see that right there? We need to have that because it's almost impossible to guard. I mean, he has some fabulous plays that he's called, and, um, you know, he uh, he does a great job of doing just that, that, just that. And we're on a league that is a copycat league. And so there's no shame in taking some of the plays that Coach Tommy has incorporated in his offense. And so uh, I'm optimistic about the offense and the direction that it's going towards. Uh, I had conversations with two guys on offense in particular. One was uh, my quarterback, McLeod Bethel-Thompson. I talked to him after the game, and he actually approached me, as a matter of fact. I was on my way out after the game, and, you know, he uh, he, he felt like they didn't perform as well as they could have. And he told me that he will be better, the offense will be better. And the second person that I had a conversation with was one – Devaris Daniels, one of our better receivers, one of our best receivers, uh, and is a guy who's had a lot of success with Coach Dinwiddie in the past as well. And he's told me that, hey, look, honestly, you know, we've had a couple of, you know, injuries up front, but we are getting to where we need to be at because we have all the weapons in the perimeter. And once we show up up front, which he is confident that is happening and is only getting better, we are going to be a dangerous offense. And so uh, I'm extremely optimistic. I'm confident with the weapons that we have on the offense, the Hall of future Hall of Famers and all of the other weapons that we have. Um, I think that once it clicks, it is going to be a problem for every single team. Yeah, the problem I have is I've heard you say to me before that McLeod came to you and said, this is my bad and it's on me. And then I watch and I see him miss receivers uh, who basically are wide open, who he sh should hit as if this is a skelly drill in practice. So we shall see. Uh, but there has been, in fairness, lots of turnover. Devers Daniels himself was down, having him back up after, you know, he got uh, the head injuries big, you know, went all Canadian on the offensive line because of the injuries on the offensive line. So I will I will uh, have some patience. Uh, and we'll, we'll see. Like four meetings in 31 days, with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. August 12th, you go to Hamilton. August 26th, they come back to Toronto. And then September 5th, Labor Day, the game that might as well be worth for in itself because it means that much to both fan bases. So proof is in the pudding. You'll see all of those looks on tape. You'll see the same people. Uh, and we will get a litmus test in terms of who the best team is in the East. And really, quite frankly, because of you know the status of Montreal and Ottawa, if you handle business in the next 31 days, Toronto Argonauts could run around and hide in the East in plain sight, and you know put it in neutral essentially until you host a playoff game. So very fascinating to see uh, what happens uh, over the next little bit, starting uh, on August 12th. I've thought about that as well, and I don't even know if that's really what I want because that could be a gift. And it could also very easily be a curse. And uh, especially when uh, playoff time comes around, if you put it in cruise control, in neutral, as you put it, sometimes it always it comes back to bite you in the butt. Well, I'd rather be in neutral than revving on E, trying to drive uphill. And I'll say it right now. There will be two East teams in the playoffs because there will be a crossover team. So you're you, – you're, you're fighting for two spots, and quite frankly, you want the first spot because you want 
a week of rest and you know some home field advantage. So uh, I, I would I, I would prefer neutral for sure. Uh, we w- do have to, you know, no matter who you cheer for, um, you hate to see guys go down. So n- no one is neutral about that. So we do have to take some time to you know pour a sip out uh, and give our thoughts to Braylon Addison who went down early in the game. You know, a good player, you know, a good dude. Limited to three games last year because of knee and hamstring injuries. And you talk about Tommy Condell having to go deep in his playbook. He's got to go deep in his depth chart now to make up for that production and that explosiveness that they got from Addison. And so I know, obviously, when it's non-contact, uh, your mind goes places like that's not good. That's long term. You know, we're, we're taping this early on Monday. So, you know, the news in terms of, uh, you know, his prognosis may come out, but either way, um, you know, my thoughts are for him, never good to see, uh, you know, the sniper get someone and to see someone go down uh, without being hit. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, and, and it's tough as, as much as I uh, can't stand and hate the, uh, the black and yellow, um, you know, I have a lot of love and respect for them as individuals. And Brilliant Ed- uh, Addison is, is one of those guys. He's by far, to me at least, from my perspective, the uh, most valuable player on that team. So, you know, it puts, you know, Tommy Condell, that really that whole offense in, in, in a terrible predicament when he is taken out of the game. And, you know, from my viewpoint, it looked like non-contact, like you mentioned. It looked like it was an Achilles hoping it's not hoping it's you know something that he'll be able to heal from maybe um you know a month from now after we're done playing all the games against them but um you know he's somebody that has you know that impacts that you know every single game that the hamilton tiger cats have so uh for them to lose him is a huge blow to the team um and uh it completely changes everything and you talk about tommy condell thinking on the fly okay who's gonna replace you know, uh, uh, Braylon Addison is, is so difficult. He does so much for that team. I mean, he is a receiver that runs every route in the route tree, gets in the backfield, runs the ball for him. He's so versatile. And so it, it, it sucks and it's difficult for them um, to deal with. But, hey, look, um, you know, Coach Tommy gets paid the big bucks to figure it out. And that is what he's going to have to do in this short week um, to see exactly who he's going to replace him with, whether it's, um, you know, uh, one of their running backs, another receiver, you know, uh, Poppy White, somebody, or change the playbook, which I wouldn't have an issue with at all. So uh, we'll see how he's going to handle that. But in all cases and scenarios, we will be prepared. Well, Nathan Rourke is on his way to making some big bucks. Uh, there we go. Because- there we go. This is exactly, this is, this is, I know you came in no, today. Here he go. All you wanted to talk about. This is what you wanted to talk about. So let's get it. Let's go. I, what uh, else is there to talk about? Roger, 386 <laughs> in the first half. Five TD passes in the first half. Ties a single game record by Canadian. And the completion percentage, 91.9 completion percentage against Chris Jones, who you mentioned, no matter the level of, players he has defensively schematically he's going to make you play left-handed i could try to play madden right now with both hands and i would not complete 91 percent of the balls if the game was on beginner he's on pace for 48 tds would tie doug flutie do you think he gets there right now the way that things are looking i actually think he gets there and take take it from the guy who told you to hey hold the horses, hold on. Let's not crown him. You know he's such he's he's such a good player. One, he's a great human being, and you can just his his charisma, his enthusiasm, his passion for the game, but his leadership just oozes out every time that you see him on TV and he speaks. It's hard to hate him. I'll say that. I'll say that much. It's really hard to hate this guy. Um, But he does so many things well. And I said it last week, and I will repeat it again. What I'm most impressed with with him is how comfortable he is becoming in that offense, how much more risk he's willing to take. If you look at the beginning of the season, the types of throws that he was making, 
were all just quick throws. I talked week in and week out about how fast of a release he had, which has been, you know, unseen really prior to him. But the other thing that now he's added is the fact that he's able to now read defenses, go down and further into his reads. And really, before, when you look at his games, any deep ball was only a ball where it was a blown coverage or as a guy that's really wide open. Now he's trying to fit balls through windows and he's hitting digs where in between linebackers. And so I'm, you know, glad to see the progression um, that he is undergoing. And, uh, you know, I'm cheering for the kid, except for the next time we play against him. Yeah. They've got so many weapons out there uh, that everyone takes a turn on who's going to go off. You know, Ryan's went for 91 and three TDs. Oh, by the way, they got Brian Burnham back. And I actually think he does get there because I think Calgary is going to push them all year for that second spot and home in the first round. So I don't see a scenario where, you know, with two or even three weeks left that they're shutting things down and playing a little bit vanilla. I think they're going to have to push to make sure uh, that they, you know, get uh, a home game in, in BC place, which is continuing to, you know, showcase some nice crowds. So I, I think Doug Flutie's record is in jeopardy. I know Matt Dunnigan was sweating, uh, you know, that his single game record was going to be in jeopardy. Well, rest for now, Matt. Uh, but uh, Nathan Rourke on his way to, to being the MOP uh, is putting up some numbers. Uh, we'll see what numbers are put up uh, this week. Let's preview these games. And I love the fact that we got. Let me, let me, let me, let me say this one thing, though. Yeah, sure. I Talk will see this. The Edmonton Elks are not the best version of this of the, of of who they're going to become. They are not nowhere near, you know, the team that one they need to be, but that they will ever be. Uh, Chris Jones is. I talk about how much he wants to force offenses to play left-handed, and he's essentially as a coach and a defensive coordinator, the puppet master. But when you're the puppet master and the strings are broken because you don't have the right people in the right places and you continue to switch, uh, uh, you know, bring people in and have that revolving door, man, it's, it's, it's so hard for a team, a unit to come together and to be successful. And so I think something's got to be done over there, too. And someone's got to get in Chris Jones's ear and be like, hey, look, pick a guy, commit to him and develop him, you know. Um, but uh, once again. That's always been Chris Jones, and I don't think that he's going to change uh, anytime soon. Well, this was another route, 46 to 14. How much is it just the case that sometimes stylistically you don't match up well with the team? No matter what you do, they have uh, your numbers. Because Edmonton has played teams relatively close since they were blown out by BC, only to then, once again, be blown out. By BC. Do you, you think it's just a, a matter of styles makes fights and this is not a good style for Edmonton? It, it's tough to tell because it's almost like it's a whole different team every time they play each other, right? True. With Chris Jones bringing in, uh, I, I think last time I read, one time someone told me that they he had 11 guys come in, right? When you have 11 guys come in in the locker room, they didn't come, uh, partake in training camp. They don't even know the guys that they're playing with next to them. They got to learn the different defensive playbook and understand exactly what is happening and the nuances of the defense and who is around them and how they play it. It's so much more complex than just reading a playbook and executing. And so um, Chris Jones, like I said, is not new. I'm not even surprised, but somebody's got to get in his ear. Somebody's got to say something to him because, you know, it's more than just the uh, placing a random person in a position and making him you know, successful because he truly believes that he can put anybody in any position and make him successful. The bad thing is this is one of those cases where the uh, he's been so successful in the past that he completely believes in himself and he's going to continue to do that. You look at AC Leonard, who used to be an offensive player, a uh, tight end receiver. You look at a Willie Jefferson um, and now look at a Deron Carter. So he is stern and he is going to continue to do this because of the success that he's had in the past. But me as a player, I do not believe in that style of coaching. 
while he's going back to a place where he had great success uh, hosting them but playing against uh, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders this week. Let's actually transition and preview a week of games where we've got what I love is some some back-to-back matchups and some home-and-homes. Montreal and Winnipeg is one as Montreal goes to Winnipeg Thursday, 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Bombers can go 10-0. and And then after this, they got a bye. So we, we talked about a little bit earlier about trap games. This could be potentially a trap game for Winnipeg after beating Montreal and having, you know, some rest and some vacation in the month of August. Montreal still technically uh, in a playoff spot, but again, looks like there will be a crossover, so they need to get busy. Uh, They host Hamilton in week 11. So both teams potentially could be looking past uh, this game. What are you looking for in the Thursday edition uh, of a matchup that I'm looking forward to. Well, I'm hoping for Winnipeg to have success. I'm hoping for Montreal to lose. I want to create and continue to. <laughs> you don't even have to separation. say that at this point. We know, but <laughs> I have to reiterate it just because, just in case we get some new guys that have just started listening to us again. You know, uh, uh, they need to know that. So I will say that uh, uh, I want obviously Winnipeg to win. But you talk about a trap game. I come back to what we talked about at the beginning. This is a team that I think is going to expect it. Um, that's the conversation that is probably going to be happening, you know, day in and day out throughout, you know, this week leading up to the game. So I expect them to go out there and, and you know, really at home to have success against a team that uh, clearly um, they are better than, that are still trying to find themselves. And now Montreal has to be in hostile in, in a hostile environment out there in Winnipeg and trying to win a, uh, uh, a very difficult game against a team that is, you know, really rolling. Friday night football, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Another round two matchup. Toronto uh, goes to Hamilton. How different is it for you in this rivalry contest to be playing at Tim Hortons Field in relation to BMO? Uh, you you got to just be locked in a little bit more. Um, and that's something that we kind of started to talk about already because you know, this is, it's a rivalry game. It's emotions are extremely high. Um, you know, it's really a lot of it has to do with controlling your emotions, controlling, um, you know, what you do on the field beyond just executing, um, which is important for every single game. And so going into a, a, a great stadium where it's always a great environment, especially when it's us two playing, um, it's going to be one of those games where, look, they obviously have lost a few guys, you know, from the last game. They lost one of their, you know, the their best player. They're going to want to win. They're going to be desperate. And again, you put a, a an already offensive genius like Tommy Condell, you know, you put him against the wall and put him in a desperate situation like they are right now. I'll tell you what, for them, I'm sure they're treating it as a must win because they don't want to slip and slide any further than they already are from us in the ranks and so it's going to be a, a a really good game and we're looking to not just duplicate but even play better um so that we can also establish ourselves and uh, continue to develop our identity as a team well a lot of what you said about hamilton could be applicable to calgary as they host bc on saturday 7 p.m eastern now remember they had two games with winnipeg that were close but they lost both sandwiched with uh, a buy in between. So really they could go essentially a month without winning uh, a football game. And obviously they want to keep pace with BC in terms of being within touching dif- distance of Winnipeg in the standings in the West. Bowley by Mitchell, uh, the headline of this game is he's one yard away from becoming the Stan Peters all-time leading passer. When you consider all the great passers that have come through Calgary, that is saying something. He's clearly going to get the record, but I think this is going to be a statement game for Bo coming off the game where he didn't play well. You've got, you know, the anointed one, so to speak, coming into town with a team that's close uh, in the record books. And I think this will be a uh, forgot about Dre type game for Bo where he says, listen, I've been that guy for a while. Like, don't, don't put me out to pasture uh, just yet, but look at the resume, two great cup championships, two MOPs, uh, two-time CFL 
all-star, the passing leader in terms of TDs in the league twice. Uh, do we put enough respect on uh, on Bo's name? I don't think that we put enough respect on Bo's name. And I think that he's going to approach the game, this game to do just that. He's going to ask for the respect. He's going to say, hey, put some respect on my name. I mean, this game right here, you talk about what is going to happen. I mean, Nathan Rourke, you hear about his – you know his his accomplishments before you even see him and the, the the records that he is breaking the records that he's coming close to breaking um and and everything that he's doing and so they're going to have to have a complete game in order to beat this calgary stampeders team and bo levi mitchell is looking at nathan rourke and saying hey look i'm still the og but i think for nathan rourke to win it's going to depend on the other ogs on the defensive side of the ball I'm talking about Ryan Phillips, the defensive coordinator, John Bowman, the defensive line coach. They are going to have to have a great game against Bo Levi in order to give Nathan Rourke a chance to win against the real OG in Bo Levi Mitchell. Last game of the week, Saturday, 10 p.m. Eastern, Saskatchewan goes to Edmonton. Maybe a soft must win. For both teams in different ways, you know, Saskatchewan with four wins this far, Edmonton with two. Edmonton, if they want to keep hope alive that they could potentially get into the playoffs via crossover, this is somewhat of a must win. And then obviously Saskatchewan, if they want to stay with the pack up top in the West and potentially make the playoffs the traditional route and not have to uh, go through a crossover, must win for Saskatchewan. Uh, when you look at you know both of uh, these teams, uh, is, is there anything that you could see from either of them? Granted, they're they're you know playing competition that struggled of late. That would say, okay, yeah, you know what? I'm a believer. They've got some life, and they they might be a team to reckon with uh, down the stretch. I don't know what's going on at Edmonton, DB. I don't know what Chris Jones is doing. I don't know if. He is hoping to have success next year. At least it looks like it by the moves that he's making. I don't know if he's given up on this season. I That's what it looks like from, from the outside looking in. But that's what it is out there in Edmonton. Chris Jones is doing what he's doing. And to me, it looks like, hey, look, next year we're going to have it. I'm just trying to figure out who are the guys that I want to have in the locker room. So I'm going to bring as many guys through the door as possible. And at the end of the year, I will know who's going to be in the locker room for next year. But that's besides the point. And that's Edmonton. And that's a tough situation to deal with if you're a player over there. But when I look at the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, it's interesting to even think about, DB. Have you thought about this? At what point do you start to think, hey, look, I do want to be that team to cross over. I think mm -hmm. I'm going to have a better shot in the playoffs to get to the Great Cup if I go through the East. It's never easy. It's never been done still to this day. But I would rather go across and go on the East Coast, on the East Side, and play against those teams as opposed to playing the BC Lions, the Calgary Stampeders, or the juggernaut of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. I'm wondering, at what point do you really start to think as a def as a, as a, as an offensive coach, as a defensive coach, and as a head coach in Saskatchewan? Because... Right now, it seems like they're going to be the, the ones to likely cross over if, you know, everything holds um, the way that it is. I'm just wondering at what point they start to do that, if they start to think about keep getting guys healthy or they just continue to try and develop. But to me, that would be a very logical thing, and I'm sure it's crossed their minds as well. Well, Saskatchewan has fared well against the East, as all West teams have, except for against your Which Toronto team? Argonauts. The Toronto oh. Argonauts. But it, it, the psychology around it and the probability around it says, listen, if our goal, our only sole express goal, is not hosting in the playoffs, it's not winning a round, it's not winning two, it's not making it to the Great Cup, our express goal is winning the Great Cup, then you might say, well, the team that is the biggest detriment to that based off of the body of work is Winnipeg. So let us face Winnipeg with the trophy on the line. 
and if we beat them, we win the whole thing and not have to face them and then get back up to beat a team uh, coming out of the East. So, yeah, that's, that is fascinating. Riders fans, let us know what you think because we're not going to ask Craig Dickinson. We're not going to ask Jeremy O'Day. We know what they're going to say. But in your hearts of hearts, Riders fans, would you at this point prefer maybe we don't want to see Nathan Rourke? Maybe we don't want to go to Calgary with the wind flowing through that building. Or maybe we don't have to then a week later get on a plane and go to Winnipeg. So let us know what you'd prefer. That's a, that's a fascinating question. Because the other thing is, we know no matter where the game is, Riders fans are going to travel. So it could be east, oh, west, be north, there. south. They're going to be there. So that's not changing. That aspect's not changing. I'd be remiss if I didn't add that for a fact, and I'm glad you pointed it out, that everything that we're talking about is all theoretical. They may want to think about crossing over. They may think, theoretically speaking, it is the path of least resistance. But you got to take into account the only team that they've struggled with or they've lost twice to at least at this point, especially on the east side, has only been the Toronto Argonauts. Do they really want to come to Toronto? Do they want to come to the six is the only other question that I know Craig Dickinson is thinking about, Jeremy O'Day is talking about right now. And so it's going to be interesting to see. Well, they haven't come to the six yet. So maybe they just want to get all the stamps in their passport because they played you out (laughs) east. Touchdown Atlantic, then they hosted you. So maybe, you know, they want to check off all of the uh, restaurants on, on Enoch's must-visit list and come <laughs> through Toronto. But still lots of football to be played, and we are getting a little bit ahead of ourselves because one of, barring a tie, one of BC and Calgary are going to lose this week. We know that. They're playing each other. So, you know, if Saskatchewan wins, they're still within striking distance. Um, you know, pushing those teams for uh, third in the West or even potentially second if they get on a run. So we'll see. Lots of football to be played. Lots of football to discuss. We do it here for you. So the least you could do, share, like, subscribe, favorite. Give us five stars. If you don't, we will find out where you are. We will get the IP address, and Enoch will come and light you up. He's going to form tackle you, take, take you to the ground. But most importantly, let us know. Uh, who you want to hear from, what you want to hear, and what games you are most excited for. Uh, This is The Waggle. Thanks for listening.